tonight, Don Huckabee, attorney and political commentator Alan Dershowitz, actor and director Kevin Sorbo, walkaway founder Brandon Strzok, former Leonard Skinner drummer Artemis Pyle. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbury. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Thank you very much. Wow, what a great audience we have here tonight and a terrific show. Let me begin by saying that the more that we learn about the cowardly surprise attack by the terrorist group Hamas on the innocent civilians of Israel, the more gut-wrenching we find it to be. The carefully planned assault on babies, young women who were targeted for rape, and elderly women is a stark reminder for honest observers that Hamas was never interested in a better life for the so-called Palestinians. They simply want to kill as many Jews as possible and inflict as much pain as can be directed toward Israeli non-combatants. As shocking as is the evidence of babies being beheaded and burned alive, or women being repeatedly and violently raped, is that people around the world, including those in high-dollar institutions of higher education, have defended Hamas and blamed Israel for the entire war. This irrational view is underpinned by a combination of willful ignorance and spiritual darkness. Yet in the midst of the inexplicable horrors played out in real time are the obvious questions demanding an answer. Number one, if the so-called Palestinians are so loved by the Muslim nations of the world, why won't any of those nations at least offer to give temporary refuge to their brothers and sisters from Gaza? Egypt won't take any of them, not one. Neither will Jordan, or Syria, or Saudi Arabia, or Qatar. If their cause is just and their suffering is so real, then surely those who are ethnic and religious family should be expected to gladly receive at least some of those suffering from the murderous reign of Hamas. But none of them will. Why not? Is it because they know what most distant observers don't know? That the people claiming to be a Palestinian people are the fruit of a fabricated ethnic group created by another terrorist, Yasser Arafat, in the early 60s. They've never had a real claim to a capital, a history of government, or an ethnic unity. And while there have certainly been Arab people, many of them Christian, who could link their history to the land that we know as Israel, they actually lived under the governments of the Brits, the Turks, and others prior to yet another reapportionment of land that gave the Jews their homeland in the exact area to which they had an indigenous connection for over 3,500 years. Some of the other Arab Muslim nations don't want to welcome an influx of Palestinian people because they've watched those who lead that movement focus on disruptive terror activities, corrupt government and no quality of life progress for their people. The second thing, why has the White House been so very protective of Iran and its regime, responsible for funding 93% of Hamas and Hezbollah? 
and failed to put public pressure on Iran to distance itself from Hamas and push Iran to get the well over 100 hostages freed. Some of those murdered and currently being held hostage are Americans. And shouldn't the Biden administration be issuing ultimatums to Iran instead of trying to get Israel to slow down its purge of the Hamas military? The leaders of Hamas are currently sitting in five-star hotels in Qatar. They're directing the mayhem from their lap of luxury. Why haven't we demanded that Qatar turn them over to the U.S. for their murder and kidnapping of Americans? Why have we not pressured for at least their expulsion from their hidey holes in Qatar? And number three, why did Hamas act when they did? They didn't unleash this massacre while Donald Trump was president. So what weakness in the current administration did Hamas see? Was it the slipshod manner in which we exited Afghanistan and left behind billions of dollars worth of military equipment? But also we left behind thousands of Americans and allies who desperately wanted to get out, but they were abandoned, left behind. Did they sense weakness in this administration as well in our uneven and often mixed response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Well, one thing is clear. While President Biden and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken have thankfully said publicly the right things, and they have said them strongly about our absolute support of Israel, and I'm grateful for that, we have to pray that they are not giving a different private message to Israel's leaders and giving Hamas and Iran a reason to think that the murder and kidnapping of Americans or Israelis will be taken lightly. There needs to be word and deed unity in what we say publicly and privately. And we need to stand without flinching with Israel as they fight for their existence in the face of sheer evil. Well, thank you all for being here tonight. We truly appreciate your support. And as I said, we've got a great show ahead, so please stick around. Keith, why don't you tell our audience about the great guests that we've got this evening? We've got a bunch. Sure thing, Governor. Law professor and crime expert Alan Dershowitz is just ahead. And later, drummer Artemis Pyle honors the music of Leonard Skinner. MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. The legal career of Alan Dershowitz spans more than half a century. A constitutional scholar, one of the most respected names in law, his diverse body of work and willingness to tackle controversial cases have cemented his status as a leading legal mind in the U.S., as well as all over the world. I want you to welcome to our show the author of this book called Get Trump, also host of his own podcast, The Dur Show, Alan Dershowitz. Great to have you here, Professor. Thank you, Governor. Appreciate your welcoming me, and I appreciate your showing me this beautiful part of America. Well, thank you, and I'm glad to have you here in Nashville. You know, this is a beautiful place but right now, Israel is not so pretty. You and I have an affection and a love for the Israel uh, people, the, the state of Israel. You're Jewish. 
I'm evangelical, but we share that common bond. I know it breaks your heart to see the attacks, the cowardly attacks mm -hmm. on the people of Israel. The immediate victims were these poor children, the mothers, the grandmothers, but the ultimate victims are all good people, all Americans, Judeo-Christian values. That's what's under attack. This is a war between decency and barbarism. I'm not talking about the Palestinian people. Yeah. They should be saved from Hamas and allowed to live in peace. I'm talking about these people from Hamas that raped and these people at Harvard who support the rapists? Can you imagine them supporting rapists in any other context? I cannot. You, you taught there for many years, one of the most uh, distinguished professors of law anywhere. Uh, your career at Harvard was <clears throat> stellar. Are you shocked by what you're seeing at the You know what it reminds me of? I remember reading about a Jewish professor in Berlin who loved to teach German students. And then he was taken into the gas chambers by one of his own students wow. 10 years later. When I think of my students who I taught, I labored over, I loved them, I wrote them recommendations, and then they write a petition saying it's all Israel's fault. Imagine if I had students who were in the Ku Klux Klan and they said, oh, oh, those black people who were lynched, it was their fault, hmm. or those women who were raped, it was their fault, or the people who were shot in the street, it was their fault. That's what these students were saying. And I said to myself, I taught them for 50 years. What has gone wrong? It, it must be a little comforting to see that many of the high-dollar donors to schools like Harvard and Penn and others are saying, we're not giving any more money unless you stand against this. Non-Jews as well as Jews. Yes. Huntsman, a Mormon, yep. uh, has said that. Uh, many, many other people, they've said, look, we have a lot of places to give our money to. We've given it to Harvard and Yale and other schools, but look what they've turned out. There has to be a reckoning. When George Floyd was killed, and it was horrible, yeah. one man filled with drugs, long history of crime, one man is killed, what happens? A major reckoning at every American, not only university, media company, corporation, admission standards change, the curriculum change. We need a reckoning by universities about their attitude toward Jews, toward Judeo-Christian values, toward America, toward patriotism. We need a reckoning. And until that reckoning comes, we must stop supporting those schools financially. I, I could not agree more. And I think it's obvious that our audience recognizes what you just said was profoundly important for America to hear. When I see these folks parading in the streets and blaming Israel for the hospital explosion, right. which clearly Israel did not do, right. and even when the evidence reveals that they didn't, these people don't retract their statements. I bet you that there's not a single person who's marching against Israel today who marched or protested when Hamas killed the 1,300 people. Yeah. They're not there for human rights. They're not there to protect civilians. They're there to attack Israel. And what worries me is how we have taught our students to believe obvious lies from Hamas, obvious lies about everything, if you can't trust evidence, if you can't trust the New York Times, the New York Times is still, still talking about this being a two-sided issue. It's not a two-sided mm. issue. The earth, ladies and gentlemen, is actually 
round. <laughs> and Elvis Presley, tragically, is no longer alive. <laughs> and Islamic Jihad bombed that hospital. Israel had nothing to do with it. The evidence shows it from satellite photography, from wiretaps, you name it. Every bit of evidence points to Islamic Jihad. We know exactly how it happened. And yet, the Prime Minister of Canada, Trudeau, initially blamed it on Israel. The New York Times blamed it on Israel. Human Rights Watch, the former head of Human Rights Watch, a Jew named Roth, blamed it on Israel. These folks come in with a narrative. They come in with such a deeply felt anti-Jewish, anti-American attitude that nothing you can tell them will change their mind. And that is a terrible foretaste of what our future leaders are going to be, because these kids are our future leaders 10 years from now. They're going to run the New York Times. They're going to be in Congress. We already have hmm. four or five certifiable idiots in Congress on the Democratic side calling themselves, <laughs> calling themselves the squad. It's, they're not the squad. They are a bunch of bigots. They are a bunch of people who do not understand truth, and yet they're elected by their constituents. Hopefully, people will run against them. I will support people who run against them. And I will, too. Professor, I don't understand the irrational animosity toward Jews. I don't get it. I have zero animosity. I have nothing but deep appreciation, not just for the nation of Israel, but for the Jewish people who have given us so much in including, terms of the including, law. Including Jesus and Christianity. I wouldn't be right. who I am right. without right. the Jewish faith upon which my faith is completely Do built. Do you know what Bill Clinton said to Yasser Arafat one day? Arafat said in a meeting with Clinton, the Jews never had a temple in Jerusalem. <laughs> and Clinton stopped him and said, you're telling me that my religion is false. Where did the... Where did Jesus throw out the moneylenders? Where did all these, where did the crucifixion occur? You're telling me Jews never were in Jerusalem? If you ever say that again, don't come back into my office. And finally, Arafat said, all right, all right, I won't do that. But thank God for evangelical Christians. They have been so supportive, so principled, so fair when it comes to Israel. They care about civilians as much as anyone else, but they have moral clarity. You know, 15 years ago, I wrote a book called Moral Clarity, and it had a cartoon that could be in a book today. It shows an Israeli fighter protecting a baby carriage, and then a Hamas fighter using the baby carriage to protect him. It's called the CNN strategy, or the, I hate to say this, the dead baby strategy. What happens is Hamas knows that if they kill Israeli civilians and then use their own civilians as human shields, Israel is going to have to respond to rockets being fired from a hospital or behind sure. a hospital. And they know that inevitably, no matter how much care Israel takes, and it warns people, it does everything, there'll be a couple of small number of innocent civilians killed, including perhaps some babies. They are waiting with CNN cameras to carry out that dead baby. And the world doesn't say to the people who are carrying them out. Yeah, we, we hate the fact that babies are being killed, but you, Hamas, killed them. Exactly. You held them as human shields. You know, if I go into a bank and rob a bank, and I hold a hostage, and I start shooting and killing people in the bank, and then a policeman tries desperately to stop me from shooting and accidentally kills the hostage, who's guilty under American law of murder? 
the person who took the hostage, not the policeman. And that's what's happening in Israel today. I hope that people are hearing clearly what you're saying because it makes a whole lot more sense than we're getting out of our national media and from some politicians in Congress. We're going to come back with more, talking with uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz. We're going to break down some of the legal troubles of former President Trump. And we have a whole lot more. Do not go away. We will be right back with Professor Alan Dershowitz. Still to come, founder of the walkaway movement, Brandon Strzok. And later, actor-director Kevin Sorbo on the mostly true story of the miracle in East Texas. back with constitutional expert, legal scholar, and longtime Harvard law professor, Alan Dershowitz. Uh, professor, one of the books you've recently written is called Get Trump. And a lot of people are going to be surprised that you wrote the book. You're not a Trump supporter. You're not a Republican, never have been. Uh, but there were some things that you have seen in the treatment of him that disturbed you as a law professor and a constitutional. Well, more than disturbed me. Look, most of the people I've represented in the past in politics, Ted Kennedy, Bill Clinton, have been Democrats, Alan Cranston from California. But what I saw happening to Donald Trump, who I did not vote for, the impeachment was based on unconstitutional criteria. Now they have four criminal and one civil charge against them. Not a single one warrants being brought. The evidence isn't there. The law isn't there. Where did I get my title, Get Trump? I didn't make it up. <laughs> it was the campaign pledge of the Attorney General of New York running in the Democratic primary and then running in the general election, saying, my promise to you, the, the anti-Trump voters of New York, 75% voted against them, my promise to you is I will get Trump. We never want to live in a country where prosecutors target people first and then get the evidence. That's Stalin's Soviet Union, where Lavrenti Beria, the head of the KGB, said to Stalin, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. And Justice Robert Jackson, who was our chief prosecutor at Nuremberg, said that any good prosecutor can rummage through the books and find something that a political opponent did. That's not the American way. Is it disturbing, <coughs> Professor, <coughs> that <coughs> the current Justice Department under the Biden administration is largely behind a special prosecutor? I mean, I can't even imagine how inappropriate it seems that a person who is in office would use the power of all of the agencies of the federal government to target his likely political opponent in an upcoming political race. If you're going to target your political opponent and avoid being a banana republic, it better be the strongest case in American history. And when the first prosecution against Trump, the first one by the district attorney of Manhattan, turned out to be something I never heard of. I've been practicing criminal law 60 years. They just made it up. You know what they charged them with? They said, look, you had an affair, an adulterous affair. He denies it. That's not relevant. You had an adulterous affair and you paid hush money, perfectly legal. And then you didn't disclose your payment of hush money on a corporate form. That's a crime. That would have put Alexander Hamilton in prison. <laughs> And we wouldn't have had that great musical, would we? That's right. And, you know, th this has really been decided. The John Edwards case yeah. was 
basically this case, but it was thrown out. Oh, oh, this, uh, the Edwards case was much stronger than this one. This one isn't even close. Uh, this one, they had to make up the law, they had to make up the facts, and if this were tried in any fair district, if this were tried down here in Nashville, the jury would have quit in 15 minutes. So, Donald Trump has some serious legal obstacles in front of him. He does. Given the jury makeup in D.C., New York, and for that matter, the judge in Florida, who is no fan of his, um, or Georgia, I mean. Georgia. It's very possible he could end up getting convicted. Oh, is he will his... get convicted. Let me make a prediction okay. here. I've made many predictions. In my book, Get Trump, I made many predictions, all of which have come true. Why do my predictions come true and CNNs don't? Because <laughs> CNN engages in wishful thinking. They don't predict. I base it on my professional experience without regard to what outcome I want. I don't want Trump to be convicted. I think he will be convicted by a New York jury, by a D.C. jury, and by a Fulton County jury. Maybe not in uh, Palm Beach County. I'm not sure about that. But so, there will be some convictions. So if it happens, what are his chances on appeal that he gets thrown out? Because there you might have some honest lawyers. Much and better, and I think the prosecutors know that. Their strategy is down and dirty, get him convicted before the election, let it influence centrist voters, then it'll be reversed on appeal, too late, too late, it won't affect the election because that'll happen after the election. That's why it's important that some of these issues be appealed immediately. For example, a gag order placed on Trump. Look, yeah. I don't think, I would never tell my client to call the prosecutor a thug. <laughs> I would never do that. Yeah. It's not smart. But Trump has a constitutional right to say that the person who's prosecuting him or he believes persecuting him is, is a thug. He can protect himself. He can sue. But gag orders make no sense, and they can be appealed. And, and if, if a gag order is permitted against Trump, it can be permitted against other defendants as well, and that would trash at least an important part of the First Amendment. But I think Trump has to assume that he will be convicted. If he's convicted in Georgia, there's mandatory prison term. And could you imagine him winning the election and having to go to prison with his Secret Service guards in the jail cell with him, the, the Oval Office uh, behind bars. I mean, you couldn't even... If I had written a novel and submitted that to a publisher, they would have laughed at it. They would have said, that's, that's not even plausible. Yeah. You know, I, I just... Well, you want to hear something funny about that? Sure. The people from Fauda, which is this great television show about the Israeli uh, military service, they had originally planned to start the next season with an attack on a music festival by Hamas Hundreds of people coming in and killing hundreds of Israelis. What a great beginning for a show. It was rejected on the ground that it couldn't possibly happen. And, and now it did. Alan Dershowitz, it is such a pleasure always to visit with you. I feel like I get smarter just hanging out with you. This book, Get Trump, is available right now. We'll have a link at Huckabee.tv so that you can get it, and I hope you will. Uh, whether you're a Trump supporter or not, that's not the point. The point is, do you support the Constitution? Do you, do you support the notion that every American ought to be treated the same, whether he's rich, poor, Democrat, Republican, white, black? And I think the answer ought to be a resounding yes. That's why this book is a very important one for all of us. Also, we will help you be connected to Alan's podcast called The Der Show. Right now, Keith Bilbrey standing by. He has a whole lot of information about what's coming up next, and you're going to want to stick around for it. Well, just ahead, walkaway movements. Brandon Strzok on his life since the January 6th Capitol attack. Plus, former Leonard Skinner drummer Artemis Pyle is in the house. Stay with us.
Well, one of the things that we enjoy most here in the studio, while you're taking a break on television, we have phenomenal music by the best band in America. Of course, I'm talking about Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Would you give them a big hand? Brandon Strzok gained prominence five years ago as the founder of a movement called the Walkaway Campaign, encouraging people to leave the Democrat Party and embrace more diversity of thought. But he says that after January 6th of 2021 and that riot that happened at the Capitol, his life got torn apart by the Department of Justice. Now, Brandon's been with us before, and we love having him. And here's what we want people to understand. He committed no acts of violence whatsoever. He did not even enter the Capitol. And he's not the only one. But he got arrested, was forced to wear an ankle monitor, ended up being on the no-fly list. And right now, he's fighting for justice for some of the J6 protesters. And he's back with us tonight in Nashville. And we're very happy to welcome back Brandon Strzok. Brandon, good to have you. Thank you. You were here before and had just kind of gotten the ankle bracelet off. It was the first time you were able to travel anywhere. Right. But your life was turned upside down. Yeah, I, you know, they really grabbed onto something there and just would not let go. And I mean, so many things have happened even since then. I mean, I think that was about a year and a half yeah. ago when I saw you and I was very newly off of house arrest. And you probably remember, I was still, you know, a little bit rattled by by the whole experience. But even to this day, you know, they're putting out articles constantly indicating that I'm a, a domestic terrorist or, you know, a, a violent anarchist. And to your point, not only did I not enter the Capitol on January 6th, I stood outside of the building for eight minutes shooting a video, and I voluntarily uploaded my video to Twitter to sort of document what I had seen, and that's what got me FBI raided and arrested. But just by virtue of having been convicted on a misdemeanor charge for disorderly conduct, um, you know, it's just, it's a piece of meat that the left won't let go of. And, and they say disorderly conduct. What was the disorder? The worst thing I was accused of doing was encouraging the crowd by using words. Now. You know, I, I'll not say one way or another whether or not, you know, my voice is actually heard saying the words I was accused of saying. Uh, most people feel that it was not. Uh, but, you know, when you, take a when you take a plea deal, you essentially have to sign the government's uh, narrative of, of your actions. And in this case, I, I took a misdemeanor plea deal. Okay, this week there were hundreds of pro-Palestinian, I would almost say pro-Hamas people gathering in the Capitol... They fought with police. They disrupted the flow of government. What happened January 6th was called an insurrection. Yes. Was what happened this week an insurrection? And do you think that any of the people who were at that event this week for the Palestinians and the Hamas organization, will they be treated like you were? No. I got a felony for standing outside on the grounds these people were inside of the building, and the majority of the J6ers are yeah. getting this misdemeanor that they're calling parading and picketing. They're getting months in prison for yeah. parading and picketing. These people were literally standing or sitting inside the Capitol, shouting, banging, uh, obstructing an official proceeding. You know, we were we, we were electing a new Speaker of the House. They had to stop doing that. Will they get charged with anyone? Will they spend no. months in solitary confinement in a D.C. gulag? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. The idea that people were in jail for months without ever getting their first hearing, 
There were just some abuses of the justice system that are very frightening. You know, if you read the news, you're going to read that a lot of people struggled with police officers, engaged in some act of violence. Please don't assume that just because you read that in the news that it's true. I happen to know there are a great number of people who are pleading guilty to committing violence who did not commit violence. They're, be they're being given no choice. Mm. Before we run out of time, I want to go back to the beginning of what brought you kind of into the public light. You started the campaign five years ago called Walk Away. Right. You'd been a longtime liberal Democrat, uh, sort of bought the whole idea, and something changed. You said, wait a minute, I don't think I believe this stuff anymore. Right. You had the audacity to change your mind and to mature in your political <laughs> beliefs. Do you regret it? No, I, I certainly don't regret walking away. I don't regret anything I do. I don't even regret standing up for the American voter on January 6th. I regret nothing. But um, I can tell you, you know, it's, it's, it's been a, a, a wild ride. I'll certainly tell you that much. But I'd love to tell people, you know, look, we still have people joining the movement, sharing their stories about walking away from the Democratic Party. We've launched our own app now called Walkaway Social, mm. which is available on the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. If people go to Walkaway Social, they can load it. Whether you are a walk with, someone who walks with those who walk away or walk away, please join. And we have an amazing fifth anniversary event happening next month in West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, we're calling it Walk-A-Con, and some of our greatest supporters like Laura Trump, Carrie, Lee, Carrie Lake, uh, Rudy Giuliani, Matt Schlapp, Mercedes Schlapp, lots of people are going to be there, and people can get tickets at walkawayanniversary.com. Highly encourage people to come. And if they use promo code Huckabee, <laughs> we're giving 30% off of tickets. I think so. that's a great idea. Yeah. Brandon, you know we love you here. Yeah. We're grateful for you and very proud of the stance that you have taken. If you want to follow Brandon and follow Walkaway Social, we'll get you connected as always. Just go to Huckabee.tv. I did not know you get a special deal by using the promo code Huckabee, but that's even better. <laughs> right now, I'll tell you who's not walking away. Keith Bilbrey isn't walking away. He's staying right here because we have to have him tell us what's coming up. Well, next on Huckabee, actor and director Kevin Sorbo on what's really true about the miracle in East Texas. And still to come, legendary rock drummer Artemis Pyle on Life After Leonard Skinner. Welcome back. Now, you first knew my next guest is the star of Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, which was the number one show in the world. He's since produced and starred in a series of faith-based films like Let There Be Light and Left Behind, The Rise of the Antichrist. His latest is an inspiring comedy based on a true story, and it's called Miracle in East Texas. It runs in theaters October the 29th and 30th through Fathom Events. I want you to welcome its director and its star, Kevin Sorbo. You can't quit directing. You walk out no, with your camera and you're taking live video so that you... You know, it's to prove to my wife that I didn't come here just to golf. It's... <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, she doesn't believe you anyway. No, she'll she does she'll not. think that that's CGI or something I like know, that. I know. You know, I, I don't know how you stay up with all the things you've got going. You're writing books. Yeah. You're speaking all over the place. But these movies that you're doing, and you're doing faith-based movies, what I find amazing, some of these faith-based movies are doing better than what Disney's got going out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, know what, you know what's interesting? Speaking of Walt Disney said back in the 1950s, movies and television will influence our youth. Well, I think he was pretty spot on because you see what's going on right now, and he's got to be flipping over his grave what Disney's doing to his name because yeah. this is not what Disney was supposed to be. But they're going to lose over a billion dollars this year, so... Thank you for fighting back. <laughs> you know, you know? And, and it's hitting them at the corporate level. Their stock price is yeah. the lowest it has been in years and years yeah. and years. Yeah. Uh, people are just, uh, you know, to quote my previous guest, walking away. They're walking away. I, well, Hollywood actually booted me out about 11, 12 years ago. My manager and agent said they couldn't work with me anymore because of being a Christian conservative, which apparently truth and things like that, you know, kryptonite to Hollywood. So what are you going to do? <laughs> But um, I formed SorboStudios.com, and we're doing our own movies, and other independent people are coming to me as well. And uh, I think every movie is faith-based. If you're an atheist, that's a pretty strong faith. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. No hope in your life. It's kind of sad, but it's a, it's a, I think everybody's faith-based. I, I like my movies to be family-friendly. That's what I'm doing. The new movie that's uh, going to be in theaters the 29th and the yes. 30th of October, Miracle of East Texas. Yep. It's based on a true story. It is a true story. It's about the largest oil find in the history of the world. And it also deals with a few miracles that happened right after it. It's written by Dan Gordon. He's an Oscar-nominated writer. He wrote The Hurricane. Denzel Washington, Wider, mm, Kevin Costner. Yeah. 60 episodes of Highway to Heaven. He was just a really great writer. He wrote it originally for Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Wow. Over 30 years ago. But they couldn't find the time to put it together. He came to me. We were lucky enough to raise the money to do it. And it's just, it's won 10 film festivals. Everything from best family movie to best comedy to best faith movie. So please... SorboStudios.com. Get your tickets right now. You brought a clip. Yes. Set it up for us. Tell us what we're about to see. John Ratzenberg is in the movie with me, along with Lou Gossett Jr. and my beautiful wife Sam's in it. You know Sam. Yep. Um, and this this clip is where we're we, they would go to widows to get their money out of, and to build these fa these fake oil wells, sell 500% of the shares. And I believe this is the first one where John and I are doing our little flimflam operations, so they can see how we uh, right. get women let's, to get invested. Let's see what happens. I'm a scientist, pure and simple. Oh, I doubt that there is much about you that is simple. Or pure. Uh, what? Tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. That is Proverbs 10, 20. Miss Class, if I, if I might be so bold. Yes, on this very property on which we now stand, I believe that there is... Loyal! Loyal, dead, coming! I've never felt it so strong in all my life! Dr. Boyd, I've bet my life, I, my very soul, and... Oh, Lordy, it's too strong, I can't control it! You better get him out of the sun. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think we're not expecting that a true story about oil fields in East Texas is going to be a comedy. Um, I think it just sort of started working out that way. There was just a lot of humor within it. I'm sure these guys... These are, these are real guys. The character names we have, yeah. everything. The woman you saw there, that was, that was a real character. And uh, it's, it's pretty interesting, but there's a more interesting story about this after that oil was found. Because it made a lot, it was right in the heart of the Depression, 1930, yeah. when this happened. Um, Ten years later, when World War II, we are full into it, and Americans were into it, they sent the oil from East Texas over to Europe to keep all the allies so that everything, all their trucks and tanks could keep going, while the Germans, of course, after they got blocked off, 
all ran out of everything. Mm. And Winston Churchill said that the war was won off of East Texas oil. So that is the miracle of East Texas. One, I'm not going to give away. That's only part of it. There's even more. There's even more. I think that's, I want to see it. That story's not even in there. That's why we need to all see <laughs> yes. it. Well, before we go, I want to be able to also just, uh, you're looking at a lot of things going on yeah. in our own country. Sure. You have been bold and outspoken in speaking up for traditional values in this country. It's cost you a Hollywood connection. But do you feel that you've lost something or gained something by the stand you've taken? Well, I definitely gained something. I mean, I'm not going to be called up for big Hollywood movies or TV shows anymore, but over the last 10, 11 years, I've shot over 40 movies, and I'm doing movies that I think affect people in a positive way. I get stopped all the time in, in hotel lobbies, airports, and say, we love God's Not Dead, Soul Surfer, what if? Please keep making movies mm -hmm. like that. I'm doing it, but we need your support to get these movies out there, because I don't have a $100 million advertising budget like they do for avatars and things yeah. like that. So we need people's support to get these movies out there. That's why people need to go to the theaters on October the 29th and 30th. Miracle in East Texas will be in the theaters those two days through Fathom Events. If you go to Huckabee.tv, we will link you so that you can find the theater near you that will be showing it, as well as how to get tickets on October 29th and 30th. Right now, Keith Bilbrey, he's going to perform a miracle himself. He will predict the future and tell us what's coming up next in the show. Well, your wish is my command. Coming up after the break, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Artemis Pyle is here, and they're going to play some Leonard Skinner. Don't you go away. on Huckabee when former U.S. Massachusetts Senator Scott Brown joins us, plus music with a message from the Katinas. And welcome back. On October the 20th of 1977, one of the world's biggest bands, Leonard Skinner, suffered a deadly plane crash. It killed three members, including singer Ronnie Van Zandt. Even though he was severely injured, drummer Artemis Pyle pulled the survivors to safety, and then he went for help. He recovered, formed his own band, and in 2006, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Leonard Skinner. On this anniversary, we wanted to honor the greatest Southern rock band of all time, and who better to help us do that? Would you please welcome Artemis Pyle? Glad to have you. You've got a lot of fans out here. <laughs> Artemis, I've been doing this show for a little over six years. I've never had a welcome like that, not once. So good for you. I have to hand it, as you all know, to Ronnie Van Zant. Um, he was the visionary. He, it was his dream. Um, and, and he was a taskmaster. He rehearsed the band uh, over and over on the same song. So... I got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because of Ronnie mm -hmm. and his prolific writing. Um, about a month ago, or about four months ago, we lost Gary Rossington. Yeah. Uh, it makes me the last living member of Leonard Skinner. It's not a good feeling. It's, it's a bad feeling. But uh, my band and I, uh, we've been together for 15 years. Uh, Jerry and Scott and Brad and, and Dave, we've been together for 15 years. 
and we had an idea about doing a tribute record to Ronnie Van Zant, his music and his band, and a little polish with some new vocals and some modern technology. And, uh, and together with Get Joe Records out of Texas, and right here in Nashville, we had uh, spinning plates <clears throat> doing PR work. <clears throat> We're just trying to get the word out. Because did I mention Dolly Parton's on our album? Yeah, Dolly Parton is doing yeah. one of the tracks on the new album. Uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. Dolly, Dolly was the first one to sign on with us, and she sang Freebird. And when she played it for me, I, I cried like a baby. I think Lynn and Nicole were in the room. I was boohooing huh. uh, because I, it was so emotional. And that's before oh. we lost Gary Rossington. But we were able to get Gary Rossington with his iconic slide solo on our new album called Anthems. And I love the name because mm. Ronnie didn't just write hit songs and hit albums. He wrote anthems that are part of the fabric of our lives. And these songs will be around a thousand years from now. And uh, so the new album, Anthems, we have, as I said, Dolly Parton. It, she is the number one humanitarian in the world, though she does so much for children and the whole world. And then uh, we have Billy Ray Cyrus on Call Me the Breeze, Sammy Hagar singing Simple Man that Ronnie wrote about his mother. Yeah. And I knew his mother, I knew his grandmother. He wrote that song for them. And um, so it's what we do, our band, APB, we just continue to carry the legacy on. And I, I might mention that we spent a couple hours with fans and I'm sure there's a bunch of fans in here, and I hear the stories about what the songs mean to everyone. They buried a friend to Freebird. Hmm. Their dad loved uh, Sweet Home Alabama. All the songs have meaning, meaning and they're, they are anthems, so it's rare that I get a chance to thank everybody, so Thank you, Governor Huckabee. Well, I, I know you said Artemis, I could call you thank Mike. you. You should. <laughs> you but but I've got to ask you, Mike. we're going to run out of time, and I've got to ask you the question, yeah. because one of the songs that the band is going to do tonight is the song, a great Leonard Skinner classic, That Smell. It's mm -hmm. not what people think it is. So this, you helped write that with Ronnie. I, I did. Uh, so what is the song about for people who just hear the title and say, that's a weird title? It's, it's a warning. It's, you know... Uh, kind of Ronnie saying, um, drugs, alcohol, not good. Yeah. You know, you're going to end up wrecking a car, possibly hurting yourself, killing yourself or someone else. And uh, so, you know, that that's what the song, it, it's, it's just, it's saying, you know, watch out, look out mm. for that smell. It's all around you. Um, and uh, I told you I lived in Jerusalem, Israel. Yes, for three years. In the castle years. of King David. Right. And uh, all around me, the Antifada, the uprising, yeah. and, and all of the strife that's going on there now. Mm. I have friends on both sides. I'm worried about them. Uh, but I, I lived there for three years uh, studying Old Testament. And uh, I'm a Gentile. I was raised Methodist. Um, but I felt like I could do something for the Jewish people. So, um, so I did. And uh, I learned a lot. I, I tried to work on my character and become a a better human being. I think you have succeeded in that, and uh, your music is immortal and timeless, and I want us to uh, let you get ready and join the band for that smell. Let's do it. What do you say? Uh, well, I'm always ready. Okay. Well, 
Keith, as the band gets ready to pay tribute to Leonard Skinner, I want you to tell the viewers how they can keep up with Artemis Pyle and get this phenomenal new album. To find his latest album, Anthems, honoring the music of Leonard Skinner, his tour schedule, and more, go to Huckabee.tv. Now, performing the Leonard Skinner classic, That Smell, with Jared Neiman on vocals, here's the Artemis Pyle Band!
confronts you Got a monkey on your back There's one more big slug Might do the trick Little prize for you to get your kicks Down that smell Can't you smell that smell Just a fool, just a fool, just a fool. 